0: This is how it feels we are electric eels going around like a wonder wheel. Round,
1: round, round.
2: My head the summer Don't need that old pole
1: vault. Thanks for joining us for another episode of TalkScript. We're recording live-ish from the always beautiful Carlsbad, California after taking the podcast on the road to JSConf US 2018. This conference had two tracks packed with great speakers vacation-esque activities, and new stickers to add to our ever-expanding laptop mosaic. Over the next few episodes, we'll be talking with various speakers, including Kevin O'Neill, Nick Navarita, Oddbird's Miriam Suzanne, test doubles Justin Searles, and many more. Let's get started. We're here with Gavin Joyce. And Gavin, you were a speaker at JSConf. Tell us a little about your talk.
2: Sure. So my talk was called Smartphone Symphony. I guess at its height, it was a couple of things. One was a drum machine using all the Audience members' phones. Very cool. um, And kind of dealing with the latency issues that come with it, and hope overcoming them, and Mm -hmm. trying to sync everything up to culminating in playing Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, or forty seconds of it, where there were twelve different instruments and different people in the audience got a random instrument, and then the final part was picking four people at random from the audience. Each of them would control a MIDI device running on my computer, playing on the main. House speakers, mm-hmm. uh, so this is like a real-time performance where the real-time messages came to, uh, through the internet, you know, using Socket.io, to my laptop, translated into MIDI messages, which are then played through Ableton Live in uh-huh. a song that I I uh, I made. And thankfully, the whole thing works, which wow. is kind of amazing because the the Wi-Fi has been. Uh, I mean, I joked about it in my talk. Yep. It's like uh, in carrier pigeon mode. It seems <laughs> yeah. to have been for the last few days. <laughs> yeah, uh, But it, 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 amazingly, uh, the talk worked.
1: That's a, that's a very impressive. So yeah, that's awesome that it, that it worked. So I have a question about the first part. So with that, you said that it would play randomly on people's phones. So would they, if somebody pulled it up on their phones, it would just like pick a random device and start playing a segment? Is that how it works? Uh, so,
2: well, so, so the I guess the talk was 30 minutes long. Mm -hmm. The last 10 minutes were what I described, right? One part doing the drum machine and Beethoven's fifth and then doing Ableton Live mini device. Yeah, Um, And for Beethoven's fifth and the drum machine, it was, first of all, you know, just sending real-time messages to people's phones to, you know, play a drum beat or something like that. And it didn't sound too great because it's obviously latency involved, right? It's like if a drum machine, uh, or for a drum beat playing on your machine or your phone is like 50 milliseconds out of sync with someone sitting beside you, it sounds pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So we did that for a while, and then we went through an approach to deal with latency, which was for the phones to ping the server, and then to get a response from the server, and the the phone would measure how long that took. Mm. On the response from the server, it included what time the server thought it was, or knew it was. Right, So the server would tell on the response, here's what time I think it is. And if a request and a response takes, let's say, 50 milliseconds, we can kind of cut that in half and assume that the request on the way out takes around about the same time as on the way back, so 25 milliseconds each time. So if you add that 25 milliseconds to the server time, you now have a pretty good approximation of what time the server thinks it is. And now you can use this to queue up audio to play in future. So we went from there to playing a drum beat on the same phones but instead of playing it in real time we'd play it in a second right and actually the phone will work out the difference in latency mm-hmm. and everyone's phone would in effect play the sound at the same time so everything's pretty much synced up I mean it syncs up to some degree I then flipped it to just the iPhones and they sync up perfectly and I flipped it to Android and there's like quite a difference. And I joked it is like an audioization of Android fragmentation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so like there are a lot of different manufacturers of Android devices. You know, there's a bigger range of power and you know modern CPUs or whatever. Generally, the Android devices receive the instruction to you know execute a JavaScript function at the same time. Generally, but there's just different onboard latencies with different manufacturers. So it emerges as you know uh, drum sounds don't sound too good. But the reason they don't sound too good is that drum sounds have got a very sharp attack sound, sharp attack, meaning the sound kind of happens all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but sounds that are more gradual, like orchestral sounds, kind of give you a little more leeway. So when we played Beethoven's fifth, even though there were these slight differences in latencies across phones, it actually sounds pretty good and you don't notice it. Mm-hmm. So you should always stick to free from jazz is what you're saying <laughs> <'Cause>, man, <laughs> all, you've never always, that. always) <laughs> So tell us a little bit
1: more about the technology that you used. I heard you mention web sockets. Is that doing the primary communication between the devices?
2: Yeah, well, so, so th- I mean, this was one third of my talk, and right. I guess this is the essence of the talk, and this uh-huh. is the bit that I hoped would work, and it's the bit at most risk of not working. Sure. In the last couple of days, after I tested the Wi-Fi here on Tuesday, I kind of started to get a little worried that this one wasn't going to work, so I kind of packed in a lot of slides before this. So the first 20 minutes was talking about other stuff. Mm-hmm. Really, I went through, like this is the third time I've given this talk. So I talked about where the talk came from and why I gave it originally. And then went on to talk about uh, Ember add-on that I created called Ember Present, which I extracted out of the original talk. And this add-on is allows people to create these rich, interactive, real-time presentations using Ember components as the slides. And Ember is, you know, the, my framework of choice. I mean, yeah. in, in Intercom we use Ember and React for different things. But I get most excited about Ember. I'm a contributor to various parts of Ember. I kind of see this Ember Present add-on as a, a way for us to, as Ember emerges from its recent, you know, phase of modernization as the web platform has caught up with mm-hmm. some of its uh, ideas, as a way for lots of people to use this. Like, people in the Ember community to bring them to local meetups and to conferences, and basically NPM install slides from different open source talks. So like the one I gave today, people can import slides and use them in their own talks, right? So that they will be armed with this, you know, r- really high quality, polished, interesting slides where, which are interactive, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of been my main motivation in the last month or so, as I've tried to bring this to this add on to the point where I could give a talk like this. Nice. Well, oh, piano players back. It's good. It's, it's it's almost like talking about Ember. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's great that it worked
1: really well. It sounds like a super impressive demo. I can't wait to see the video on it. You mentioned using Ember for this project, and that's your framework of choice. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you think developers should choose Ember? Yeah, sure.
2: Well, we first of all, I mean, uh, there are many frameworks to choose from, right? Sure. But in front end, back end, and some are lighter or heavier than others. Right, you can do anything with any language or any platform. Right, mm-hmm. it's, it's they're incredible enablers of building and delivering stuff. We use a range of technologies. And we, we in Intercom we we try and restrict them so we like have a, a small list of languages that we tend to use. Right, we'd have to have a very good reason to choose another. And we have a small list of frameworks that we use. JavaScript frameworks. So, well, it's two. We you know we use React and we use Ember. Mm-hmm. So we have two main JavaScript apps. One is our messenger, and this is, you might know it from the bottom right-hand corner of lots of good web applications. It's Mm -hmm. a little messenger that customers can talk to, or businesses can talk to their customers, and it's like it's an app store, and it's kind of like WhatsApp for your website, right? Yeah. And that's built in React. And we chose React after we had been using Ember for two years, and as big a fan of as I am of Ember, that's like I would argue today strongly that that is still the right technology for us to use. I mean, this is a comparatively simple application comparatively to our Ember app. It's uh, embedded on our customer's website, so payload size is important. You mm-hmm. know, raw speed is important. <clears throat> the ability to have like really slick animations is important. And, you know, React, React is fantastic at giving you those capabilities. We have a different set of challenges with our customer-facing app, which is built in Ember. It's a much larger app. It's got many, many more parts to it. It's like multiple apps in one. It's like a real-time inbox in there. You can compose messages. It's got a help center. There's like, you can design bots in there and flows. And we have hundreds of people working on it, maybe 100, 120. And the pace that we're adding to it is just like incredible. With that is like we have new engineers join all the time and Mm -hmm. uh, we try to do something in Intercom. We've tried to do it since the beginning, which is the engineers who join ship something to production in their first day and ship a real feature in their first week. And that on the surface, that seems like a real challenge to anyone who's joining Intercom. You know, it is. It's it's uh, it is and ask of them, but people, you know, do it generally. The bigger challenge is actually on the company as we grow to allow us to continue to be nimble. Mm-hmm. Right? So someone can actually ship something in their first day and actually ship something meaningful yeah. in their first week. And I know Facebook has a similar uh, oh, methodology really? with that. Oh, Cool. <laughs> so like the, there are things in Ember that really help that, right, like for the same reason that Ruby on Rails, you know, was when it came out, was like a, a breakthrough in, in some aspects. like convention over configuration or maybe as it's known now as like zero configuration or whatever. It's the same thing. It's like being able to just go with the defaults and like know what the decisions have been made for you, right? And there's a happy path. And if you follow that happy path, you're going to be very happy and very productive, right? And of course, you can stray from from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, But most of the time, you try not to. And Ember comes with a very strong set of conventions. It's also, if, if you think of like picking something like Vue or React, which are comparatively smaller and they they have, you know, less responsibility. They're more concerned on the UI and rendering and, you know, hooking in with other libraries like picking a router or picking a testing story, picking a data flow library or whatever. Each time you have to make a decision, sometimes decisions are great, right? It's like people can be opinionated and they can choose, they can choose their own. You're basically building your own framework. But with that comes a cost, which is, first of all, these things aren't, necessarily designed to work together like an Apple laptop might be, right? It's kind of similar. Mm-hmm. But also you need to maintain the glue between them, right? So there will be new releases you know, independently of each other, right? And it's like you will need to, as these things, their APIs change over time, you will need to deal with that, right? And because everyone has picked a different set of things, they have to do something kind of different, right? But also you're working at a lower level because if you want to build something for all the React apps out there, you can't make these assumptions about how they're they're built or what libraries they're using. You have to be working at a lower level. Because all Ember apps are basically the same as long as they keep up with the six-week release cycle, you're working at a lot higher level, right? Yeah. So like there are pros and cons for choosing frameworks, but certainly for us as as we have, you know, we've always had very big ambitions to become not just a great technology company, but we really want to become one of the great technology companies. We want to be known for that. And we, you know, we have a mantra, which is, you know, think big, start small. Mm-hmm. I mean, the think big part is imagining what success looks like in the future, right? And you don't quite know what path that is in, but you, you're you confident that you can actually navigate a path to it, and you think it might be over in this direction somewhere. And the starting small is pairing that right back and figuring out what the first small step is, you know, and shipping that and then learning as you go and getting feedback and figuring out, you know, and kind of navigating your path over time. Yep. Ember has been, you know, a real enabler of that. Like there, there are that's one value that Ember shares with Intercom. You know, another is shipping all the time, shipping to learn. You know, it's like we we ship Intercom, we ship changes. You know, in very small increments, we ship them hundreds of times a day. Mm-hmm. The browser, the language, the framework version of that is like a six-week Chrome release cycle, and Ember has done that for the last couple of years.
1: Nice. So it really dev- provides like a a better ergonomic experience for developers especially like not just new developers but particularly new developers can come on and they quickly can learn this and then because ember apps are very similar across the board that really helps to allow their past experiences to help shape future things that they do tasks that yeah they yeah,
2: yeah yeah i mean absolutely i mean because all apps are the same and mm-hmm. um, people who have worked in an ember app before mm-hmm. are immediately comfortable yep. people who haven't can become very comfortable very quickly because they just need to learn some very high-level APIs. Yeah. And the ecosystem of add-ons or NPM packages that that build on top of Ember are working from a very high level yeah. in that they can target, they can make lots of assumptions and be right yes. about the structure of lots of Ember apps. Right?
1: That's very nice. Well, cool. Thank you so much for talking to us, Kevin.
2: Yeah, cool. Thanks very much.
1: All right, we're back at JSConf 2018, and I'm here with Juan Pablo Baritica. Perfect. Welcome. Hey, Nick, how you doing? I'm doing great. You just finished your talk, so you must be feeling pretty relieved.
0: I did, I did. It's a, it's a good
1: adrenaline rush. Yeah, <laughs> and your talk was the butterfly JS effect. So tell me a little bit about that.
0: So the talk goes over probably the last eight years of development in the Colombian technology community. What we started unintentionally became a really big deal for folks all over the country and including folks outside. So, yeah, definitely. What what we try to do is tell the story of what happened and what we've learned and sort of provide some tools for folks who want to replicate that in their own cities. Nice. So, uh, what events are associated with that? So, we started. There was a Bogota Conf in 2011, Bogota Conf in 2012. We had JS Conf Colombia 2013, then 2015, 16, 17, 18. We also started Ruby Conf Colombia. Nice. We started, I think it's 12, JavaScript meetups from like Bogota, Medellin, Cali, many more cities. We've supported another like a, a, another few Similar communities, like a thing called Pioneras Dev, which is uh, specialized on, on women who are who are getting into programming, in Medellin and now in Barranquilla. I think there's. We also started a community called Code Rice which teaches underprivileged teenagers to program. So there's a whole bunch of stuff.
1: Yeah. And I I know definitely uh, I've never been to Colombia but I've definitely heard of JSConf Colombia and when when the events are actually happening my Twitter feed lights up with with uh, posts about it so that's really cool it seems it's to be bigger. well known I mean from my test of one person but yeah it's that sounds really great so how did you get started with with uh, that or what gave you the idea to to really start growing a community or, or uh, tending to a community
0: so the whole premise of this talk and also a lot of the community work I I do is to pay it forward I moved to the states in 2007 I worked in the food industry for a while I was I was a line cook and I ran a kitchen in, in Fort Lauderdale but then 2008 came the recession hit had to find a way to make a living and I eventually ended up making websites for folks I learned how to write javascript because i learned to, uh i was i used to listen to jquery mm-hmm. podcast yeah it, while i was closing down the kitchen i usually was like okay we're done i would start listening to like just javascript podcasts some nerd and that eventually i moved to new york i went to meetups and i started seeing that i had access to knowledge because of where i was and because of who was there, just the, like the network effect and the community effect, and I wanted to pay it forward, but not in New York because there's thousands of meetups in New York, mm-hmm. but in Colombia. In Colombia, I think at the time there was a meetup, in Bogota at least where I'm from, there was a meetup called Bogo Dev, which focused on more like agile practices and other things that I wasn't really in tune with, but rather I wanted to start bringing an immediate and advanced level Programming knowledge to the country. I had a problem, which was I lived in, I lived in, in New York, and I couldn't organize a meetup in in Colombia. But I could organize a conference. It was it was just like a punk show, which I used to throw, but with nerds instead of bands. And it's just a day you get a venue and you start it out. So I set off to organize this first conference in 2011, which was in in October. We had a few a few folks come along and it was pretty good. And then it started getting better than we had than one next year. And then from there, I came to JSConf 2013, the one in Amelia Island, the, the family reunion. And there, I was already putting together a JavaScript only conference because I wanted to specialize my event so that other folks could start their own communities. Mm-hmm. And I talked to Chris and I was like, hey, can I borrow the brand? And he was like, well, let's talk. And we talked and he was like, okay, cool, let's do it. And that's where JSConf Columbia 2013 was was born.
1: Nice. Very cool. And I was at uh, the family reunion as well. And maybe that's where I'm I'm really remembering. Would that have been around? Well, I was at all of the Amelia Island ones. Yeah. Maybe it was uh, after that. And it's definitely listed on the JSConf website. It is. So that's really cool. So tell me about how you got the title of the talk, the Butterfly JS Effect. So it's kind of like a progression, right? Right, Like a butterfly flap. Yes.
0: The theory of the, or like the chaos theory says that the flap of a butterfly wing somewhere can end up in a typhoon like halfway around the world. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like the little things we started very early on have accumulated into a huge, huge community. Now there's like thousands and thousands of members and meetups and things that I absolutely take no credit for, but more I wanted to come and represent. The efforts of the community. I don't even live in Colombia, right? But there's there's a lot of folks who are putting their sweat and their time to ensure that we're all learning, that we're making knowledge accessible locally. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like it fit. I also I came up with the talk ten minutes before the deadline, and I submitted it like okay, here's I don't know, and then I also after I submitted it, I told Julian, who was my my co-speaker, I was like hey. Just in case, I, I, I posted a talk, JSCOMF <laughs> US, so if we get selected, you're gonna have to come. I was like, okay,
1: so it was fun. That's awesome, and you got selected, and and you've been speaking about it. It's really good that you are paying it forward like this. So tell me a little bit about maybe some, some challenges that you've had with getting the community started,
0: anything like that, have there been challenges? Absolutely. There's a huge difference between organizing events in a developed or like a an established technology hub mm-hmm. versus not. And and I lived it because I helped organize Empire.js in 2014. And I saw what you can do with the infrastructure of New York. And I also started many conferences in Colombia. And the, the difference is just the difference that the infrastructure makes is gigantic. A few of the things are. We, we In, in Colombia, you usually have to prioritize very differently. The cost structure for a JSConf Colombia is very similar to a JSConf US. Well, we don't throw it in a resort and we don't have like many, many things because we don't have that amount of support. But the basic thing, like speakers, flying a person from New York to Colombia is probably more expensive than from New York to San Diego. The hotel, similar sometimes, probably closer to... 200 300 bucks a night because we want we like treating our speakers really well and that in Colombia goes very far but you start adding up and you end up with a like a budget of 80 90,000 with the difference first early in the early days sponsors local sponsors did not believe in giving us money they believed in sort of like favors or, or bartering and we can't pay tickets or <laughs> hotels with favors. Yeah. So begging for money is one of the things that you really have to do. What we were privileged to do is that we had, a, we had a good network in the States and we convinced friends that we had at companies to give us money, right? It's like, hey, for the love of art, just give us a couple of grand and and that'll go far. I know your company is not interested in the talent pool in Colombia. I know you were probably not going to sell our, your product there. We're not an interesting market yet. But you have some money give it to us and it it worked eventually we stopped losing money (laughs) Um, the other challenge so the there's particular challenges in colombia right Mm -hmm. where we have a history that precedes us right shout out to netflix that reminds us of it but i think our mission is to build a technology community that helps colombia leave its past behind and it's Very, very different than what you'd find in most places in the States. I'd say the second largest barrier is the language. We've offered free interpretation for all talks since day one Mm -hmm. because we know that part of making knowledge accessible is what people can Actually, understand it. Yeah, and the best speakers or the most experienced speakers—the people who get access to scaling systems to fifty thousand machines in a second or whatever—like these really interesting technology problems—are people in the United States in Silicon Valley or in New York, or in, and they don't speak Spanish. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's unlikely, except for like Guillermo, who invented. Guillermo Rauch, who invented pretty oh, much yeah. everything in, in, yes. <laughs> in Node, um from Argentina. But everyone else speaks English. So we we have to make that content accessible. Finding technical interpreters who can who just won't jumble the talk is sure. is is interesting. And paying for that is also fun.
1: Yeah. Definitely. So, do, then do you have a mix of both English and Spanish speakers?
0: Yes. The The idea has been as time progresses. So, we always love exposing people to speakers like the ones they would see at JSConf in mm-hmm. the US. Like the best, the people who are inventing the future. Yep. That's always very exciting and very aspiring. But the other part is we also want to develop the local community. So, we, we always leave a few spots that have to be filled by. Latin Americans or Hispanic Americans or Colombians to represent because ultimately we want to become our own role models. Bringing people in to teach us is ultimately not great. We wanna flip and end up being the ones that are going overseas to teach others how to do stuff. That's sort of like the 50 year plan. Yeah.
1: Definitely. I actually run a JavaScript conference where I'm from, uh, which is Nebraska. And we have different challenges, but some of them are the same. And and that is very similar where we, we definitely reserve spots for local speakers, and we want to have local speakers because we want to promote that. But we also, like you, want to bring in the best talent, the people that are making the change in in the world, in in the world of JavaScript specifically, and we want to do that. And so we do run into those same issues, and Nebraska is known as kind of a flyover state, and we want to change
0: that. There's many parallels. Yeah, definitely. When I was talking to Steve Kinney, yeah Uh, he just spoke at the conference last right so he started he started dinosaur js yeah before he started dinosaur js he's like hey can i get some advice and part of my advice is like running a conference in denver right now is probably more similar or like in a small city is probably more similar than running in a a developing nation Mm -hmm. than it is running it in new york or in san francisco because in san francisco it's like hey javascript and you just like money just appears whereas anywhere else that there's trade-offs that you have to make my one of the biggest lessons we learned is food is expensive yes and it really doesn't add that much so we remove lunch we do give snacks but we don't give lunch we instead partner with local restaurants it's like hey give us give us a discount we're gonna bring 400 people mm-hmm. so give us a discount 20 percent, and we'll send them your way and that goes further so that instead of spending a bunch of money in, in, in an after party or in like Swag. We optimize for accessibility of knowledge, like the interpretation or, mm-hmm. or other things like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. We do uh, very similar things. Some this year we were very constrained by our venue. We had to use a caterer with mm-hmm. them and everything. Oh, but, uh, oof. Yeah. they get you that way. Yes, <laughs> they do. <laughs> but in the past, we have brought uh, food trucks in and oh, park them yes. in the parking garage and had everybody go out. And, yeah, we did that uh, Empire. Yeah. Oh, it's, so awesome. it's a lot of fun. and I definitely like that. It makes it more unique but we've also found the same thing with like after parties with not as many people this is kind of another thing like it's not a js conf like everyone's at a resort and completely leaving their their world behind to, mm-hmm. to come to this they have to go home to their families and they have to Maintain work priorities. And so we may not be able to take their attention throughout the entire day into the evening. And so that's something that we're very cognizant of as we're planning going forward.
0: Right. Getting content. So, you, you of course know, like getting content from people, from local speakers, is, is difficult. And you have to yes. sort of like maybe bribe people, like, hey, please, like, you spoke about this. You really know, or like, I know you're solving this problem at work. It would be great if you teach others. No, yeah. then you have to fight the imposter syndrome. It's like, no, I'm not good or I don't know. It's like, no, yes, you do. Right. It's great. So, <laughs> A lot of those things where you're, act- you're actively just building a community and it's a lot of work that won't be recognized. So one of the reasons why Julian and I wanted to give this talk was to represent everyone mm-hmm. like you and everyone else who is outside of a main tech hub trying to build these communities because people in tech hubs should support these, right? They should, probably the best way is by giving money and helping make this happens or or go speak at meetups that are not well known or just just use some of your privilege to help other people learn mm-hmm. and get access to that
1: yeah definitely well thank you so much for talking to us today thank you Nick we got a good thing going on bah, 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 bah,
0: bah.